meet and greet your neighbor as Chad comes forward to continue our study in Philippians. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we are getting to the last chapter of Philippians, and there's this really powerful principle that uh, Paul is going to share with us here in chapter 4, and the concept is this, you and I are as content as we are convinced. We are as content in our lives as we are convinced, Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, at last, your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. But not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Wow, how'd you do it? Well, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he shows us this tie here between contentment, our ability to be content in any and every situation, and whether or not we're really convinced that Christ can strengthen us. Can, really, can Christ really do all things? How convinced are we of the things we say we already believe? That's the question that helps us grow as a Christian. Months ago, I was hanging out here in the chapel. I was very anxious, very stressed over some situations. And as I was, I think I was over in here on this side, uh, middle of the day, and just praying, and God directed me to Philippians chapter 4, the verses that precede this. And in that passage, it says, Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be known to others, for the Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious in anything. I'm like, I I was at that part, do not be anxious for anything. Like, I'm trying. I'm trying to be not anxious for anything. I want to have that kind of contentment. I backed up in the passage, and, and right in the middle of the part I skipped over, God said, for the Lord is near. Do you really believe I'm near? Yeah, yeah, I believe that you came near. and no, no, I believe the Holy Spirit lives in me. Yeah, yeah. Are you convinced that right now, in this moment, in this situation you're currently in, in this struggle and in this difficulty, Chad, are you really convinced that I'm here, that I'm near? And I went, yeah, I'm really not. And God just really spoke to me sort of several moments in this building and times in my life where I could just tell. Another one recently, actually backstage, God was speaking to me, but my one's over here in this spot. And God said, I want you to more and more deepen your belief that I am here. And then I felt like there were some marching orders. The situation I had, Chad, because I want you to be convinced I am here and I'm going to work in the situation. So go forth and let your gentleness be known to all and be anxious for nothing. And what I realized is I didn't need a new sermon. I didn't need to learn new information. 
I actually need to go back to say, am I convinced of the things I say I already believe? And that is how we grow as a Christian. And so this passage we're going to look at today is going to ask us how convinced we are. It's going to ask us three questions, actually, all three of which penetrate deeper and deeper into our hearts. Number one, how content am I? Second question is, how centered am I? And the third question is, how convinced am I? So I want to jot those questions down. These are questions that are worth reflecting on. I just thought, oh, those are great questions. Good sermon. Really sit down and ask yourself these questions. The first one, how content am I? Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And now at last your care for me has flourished again. He said they had been providing, the Philippians had been providing for Paul financially in some of the missionary journeys he's had. He has a first missionary journey where he travels around the European area. He has a second missionary journey. And in this new opportunity he has, this new struggle he has, this new missionary endeavor he has, they have again provided financially for him. So he's saying, hey, this, this new financial opportunity, it's, it's given me a chance to see your joy, your financial support flourish again. Now, I surely you did care. I, I knew you cared before, but you lacked opportunity. This was one of those opportunities where you could give of yourself financially to show that you cared. Not that I speak in regard to want, or to need, rather. For I have learned, like this phrase will be used twice, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, the word he uses for content is a word the Stoics were using during those days. Uh, You might think of Stoicism or those people who say, you know, I don't need anything. I haven't had a feeling in years. I am doing quite fine. Thank you very much. I don't need people. I don't need help. The Stoics, the stiff upper lip. Well, their phrase for contentment was self-sufficient. I don't need other people because I'm self-sufficient. I'm a stoic. What's fascinating is that Paul takes that word for self-sufficiency and that's the word he uses here for contentment. But rather being the stoic's version of it, I don't need anyone at any time because I've got all my own resources. Thank you very much. His word is I am self-sufficient because Christ strengthens me. I am self-sufficient because everything I would need when I'm in plenty and everything I need and want comes directly from him. The other thing that strikes me about this passage is this phrase, I have learned that contentment can be learned. He wants to make sure you know that because he says it twice. You can learn it. You say, well, that's easy for somebody. Well, it's not easy for any of us. But it's something as we grow in Christ, we need to learn how to increasingly be convinced, and we'll get to that in a second, how to increasingly be convinced of who he is and to find contentment. And if you don't have contentment, pursue it. Learn how to see that God is enough, that Christ is who he says he was in your current situation. Learn it. And it can be applied where? Everywhere. What you had, and it was easy for me to be content back when I had such and such happening. It was easy to be content when the kids were doing fine. It was easy to be content when circumstances were going my way. But that's not what he says. What he's offering here is a kind of contentment that can be applied everywhere and in all things. You say, well, I don't have that. 
Well, all of us. I, I know I haven't made it to everywhere and to all things. But God is wooing us. He's calling us. He's saying, I have something for you. You want and need contentment. And it can be learned. So come to me. Learn from me in the midst of it. I was reading a story several years ago about Lee Strobel. Lee was a writer in the Chicago area. He was an atheist. And he decided to do an article for, for Christmas. So he went to visit the Delagos. And as he went to visit them, he found they were living in a Cabrini Green area in Chicago, up where I went to college. Terrible apartment situation. The place was a disaster. There was no furniture, no rug, no food except one little cup of rice. He found out that this grandmother, Perfecta was her name, was raising two granddaughters, each of which had one dress each. And between the two of them, they only had one sweater. And they had to walk every day through the Chicago freezing cold winters to school. And since they only had one sweater, they would literally switch the sweaters halfway on their drive. One would walk a quarter mile, and then she'd hand the sweater to the other who'd walk a quarter mile. And Lee Strobel, as an atheist, observed that these folks had a faith in God and talked about how God provided for them, how God was working in their life. And he's like, what world are you looking at? Because I'm looking at your life, and God ain't working anything. Well, he was struck by this contentment and this faith they found in the most dire of circumstances. So he followed up New Year's Day. It was a slow news day. He decided to check in and see how the Delagos were going since the article had come out a week earlier. As he came to their apartment, he found that it was filled with food. Folks had read the article. They had sent food. They had sent clothing. They had sent sweaters. Somebody even bought him a Christmas tree. And he stopped in unnoticed, or without telling him in advance. And as he walked in, he saw this mound of stuff and felt good that his article had brought that into their life. But as he walked over, he saw them taking it and passing it out in the apartment building. He came to me and says, what are you doing? You finally have some supplies. You finally have some food. What are you doing? And Perfecta says, well, our neighbors are still in need. She said, these were great gifts, and we are so thankful that you wrote this article. But Lee, this is not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is Jesus Christ, and he's the one that provides for us. Lee didn't even have a box for this category, a box for this conversation. He went home that night, and he began to write in his journal and ask himself questions about what was this he was seeing or experiencing, this kind of contentment, this feeling. Though though he had everything, fame, he had influence, He had name recognition, and he did not have the kind of contentment that Perfecta had in this apartment, and that's what drew him to Christ. Now here's the big question for you and I. For those who observe our life, are we as followers of Christ living any differently? Is there anything about the way we live that our contentment is attractive to other people? Or do we complain about circumstances like everybody else does? Is our stress and worry level just like the world? Or do we, have we learned this way of deepening and convincing ourselves who Christ is? So that's the first question. The second question, which gets to how you learn it, is how centered am I? Now this is the verse you always see a football player quote right before he's about to have a game, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they cut out the previous five verses we just talked about. 
What is Christ strengthening this person to do? He's strengthening you to be content in any and all situations. So here would be a proper application. Hey, uh, Philippians 4.13, very excited Christ can do all things. If I lose today, I'm so excited that Christ's going to strengthen me in handling this loss. And if we win today, I, I'm counting on God to strengthen me to win with humility and teachability. That's what the verse is about. The more centered your heart and your soul and your emotion becomes that really in all things, what things? The things he just mentioned, need, want, abounding, and flourishing, that whatever it is, Christ can strengthen you. He can help you handle success. He can help you handle wealth. He can help you handle influence. And he can help you with poverty. And he can help you with despair. And he can help you with rebellious children. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, the Philippians were going through a lot of distress. Many of them who had chose to follow Christ had maybe lost a lot of their connections because they're now part of the Jesus movement. They got kicked out of the, the local pagan areas. They weren't part of the commerce. And many of them were struggling financially for the first time in their life. And yet they, though they were in poverty, shared in his distress. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me. He's talking about financially. Nobody else helped be part of what I was doing and starting these churches. Nobody else financially said, well, I can't really give because I got some distress in my life. But not you, he says, Philippians. You guys chose, despite your distress, despite your financial obligation, you chose to share with, and there's the word share, share. You shared with me concerning giving and receiving. That you chose to give of yourself and you chose to give of your money. And, and I know the situation you were in. You had all the excuses you needed to say we can't do it. It's a bad time. I can't handle it right now. In fact, honestly, everybody else said that because no other church tried. But even in Thessalonica, after you already gave once, you sent aid once and again. You kept giving. For my necessities, well, Paul needs this. And then Paul says something amazing, which is either the most patronizing statement in the world or something profound. And I think it's something profound. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Not that I wanted the money from you, but I want what happens when you start to give money. When you start to center your checkbook on God, something happens in you. Now, whenever you talk about money at church, you're like, sure, sure, Paul, right. Uh-huh, sure, you didn't really want the money. You just wanted them to grow, right? But the same thing's for me. I just say, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And if you have never challenged yourself to move from wherever you are financial giving-wise, and if that's nothing, to take a step to at least tipping God weekly. And if, and if you've never tipped God weekly, you're like, well, I, I tip better at the restaurant than I do to God. If you've never moved past tipping, to say, I want to start giving regularly, there's a pattern once a week, once a month. If you've never done that, you know what we could do? Oh, look at the needs of the church and look at all the things we need. Look where the money goes. We could do that. That's not what the kind of giving we want. We want you to be so enthralled with who God is, so centered that he can do all things through you. That what will happen when you begin to center yourself on him and begin to give financially to him regularly 
something happens in your heart. There's a strengthening. There's a peace. There's a joy. There's a, a peace that transcends understanding that comes in the process of financial giving. And that's what I feel a lot like Paul. I want the fruit, the contentment, the joy, the peace that abounds, it grows within you to your account. He said, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Aphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. For some of us, you know, we've been giving a certain percentage of our, our, our income most of our life. But have you ever asked God to nudge you, to get your heart more centered with him? You say, boy, God, do you want me to be more generous with my time? Or you could do the old classic, well, I'm generous with my time, so I don't give him my money. Because that doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. It wouldn't be so hard to talk about, right? <laughs> There's something that happens with our money when we begin to give, whether it's tipping to regular giving, from regular giving to a percentage of your income and making that a priority, or to move from just its a percentage to upping that percentage from 2% to 3%. We just, every year around November, uh, Beth and I have that conversation, so we just had that conversation and said, God, what do you want us to do? And, and so we upped our giving a, a significant percentage again this year, and I'm telling you, that, that used to be like, oh my goodness, just write the check. But as I have centered my heart more and more after God, I tell you, 21 is when I first made it to 10% of my income. And I remember when I was 20, 20, 21 is when I started giving, I was tipping. 23 is when I made it to 10%. And I'm telling you, the, the momentum of peace that God has brought in my life by being generous, it's powerful. You know, you've seen this, uh, this idea of Paul's journeys before. This is actually what he's describing. He said, you guys helped me bring the gospel to all these different areas. So Paul's first missionary journey, he goes from here to here to here to here to here. I'll switch colors here. Second missionary journey, he's on this path here. He's traveling the world, risking his life, going to these cities like Philippi is over here and Thessalonica is here. And the reason he was able to do that and to bring the gospel to folks, to leaders in these different communities, to folks who never heard about God or didn't know the Bible was relevant, is because of this, this little church in Philippi who was giving to him as he made it from city to city to city. And Paul said, thank you for what you allowed me to provide, but more than that, so thankful for what God did in you through the circumstance. Now, I show you this slide very often about what we're trying to do as a church. Let me go up on, on stage real quick. Um, because I tell you, what we're trying to do as a church is a lot like Paul's doing, is we are trying to move people who are unconvinced about God and the Bible and Jesus, they're unconvinced about God to being unconvinced about the gospel, to moving up to being unconvinced about Christ, to ultimately becoming a Christ follower. But this isn't where we end. And many of us became a Christian five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and we're stuck here. We've never pushed ourselves to grow closer. The next stage is, is to begin to be close to Christ in our decisions, in our prayer, in our attitudes, in our emotion, in our checkbook, in our time management. We begin to see our whole life as stewardship. We begin to see our whole life as an act of worship. But even that, some of us have made it to here and we stopped. The goal is to become Christ-centered, to become convinced that his way of doing things is the best way even when I don't feel like it. That's faith. Even when I don't want to. God, I'm going to trust that your way is best. I don't want to forgive, but I'm going to trust. I don't want to love my enemies, but I'm going to trust. I don't, can't even imagine why giving a, a percentage of your income would bring freedom, but I'm going to trust you. 
So I've been hounded by God for the last four and a half years on one of these Christ-centered moments. So some of you have heard me tell stories, I think I did a few weeks ago, about my brother. And there's this verse in Romans that I wish wasn't in the book of Romans. <laughs> and it says, if it is possible, and it's not always possible, as long as it depends on you, as long as you can still do something about it, live peaceably with all people. So I love the realism of that. It's not always possible. I love the challenge of it. If you want to be centered on Christ, if you want to be a full devoted disciple, you've got to ask yourself, is there something you could do? So for the last four and a half years, despite this conflict we have and disagreement we have, I have written letters or emails to at least try and keep the communication lines open in case we might one day talk. And I'm like, well, I've gone the extra mile. I've gone the extra mile and then more, more miles. So I happened to be in Hollywood last week. Um, and while we're there, my brother lives in Hollywood. He's a video editor there. I sent him an email. Hey, do you want to get together? And it was clear that it wasn't going to work out. So I'm like, Romans, to God, I did it. <laughs> and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, no, 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 no. As long as it depends on you, what? let's try again. Six emails went back and forth. By the time I realized it wasn't going to work, I filled my schedule up. And then he said, all right, I agree, we can at least meet. The only time available was 5.30 in the morning. I am not a morning person. I can't imagine anyone doing anything productive prior to the sun getting up. So I'm like, oh. So I get up at, 4, at 5.30. I said, I, Javen was with me. I said, Javen, if you want to come with, I think there's something good. One of the things God's prompted me from the... Genesis 33 is that when Jacob and Esau reconciled, if you read the passage, it says Joseph is in the background watching. And when I preached on this a few years ago, I was struck by that, that there's something about a son watching two grown men trying to reconcile over family issues that must have helped Joseph 20 years later when his brothers throw him into a pit and he had to decide whether or not to reconcile with his brothers. I can only imagine the picture of his father reconcile with his father, with his brother was in his head. So I said, Javen, you know, he's 13, I said, 14. I said, Javen, if you don't want to go, it, it, it's probably going to be awkward. Um, but if you will, I think there's something sort of important about, you don't learn this stuff, you only can see this stuff. So I sat down with my brother for two and a half hour breakfast, and it was hard. It was hard to sort of keep telling myself, see this from his perspective. And I said, Ryan, I want to own 100% of whatever I did wrong. And so we got done, uh, and after two and a half hours, maybe it's two hours, um, just trying to apologize and own everything I could possibly own and trying to really see this from his perspective. And he, says, he goes, okay, I feel good about that. He goes, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he goes, he goes to the bathroom. And uh, as he leaves, I just burst into tears and Javen's like, Daddy, okay? We'll be in a second. We'll be in a second. <laughs> I said, it's just so hard to swallow your pride. It's so hard to see life from somebody else's perspective. But we're talking again. It's still a long path, but we're talking again. And I don't know where the road goes with my brother and I, but I'll tell you this. The obedience I had to Christ in trusting that his way was better than what I wanted to do did something in me. And that's what God wants to do in you. 
And I don't know if it's in the, in the realm of emotions or forgiveness. I don't know if it's in the realm of financial giving. But I'm telling you, it'll be hard. But it will be worth it. And it's how you move from getting to heaven, being a Christ follower, which is where most people stop, to saying, I want to be a disciple. I want to transform life. I want the fruit of your spirit flowing out of me. I want biblical competence, not because my brain is full, but because I'm doing it. I'm experiencing it. I'm trusting that your way is better when I don't want to do it. And I think that's why Paul comes to this last part and says, you want to know how to get that contentment? You want to know how to get centered? How convinced are you? Paul's pretty convinced. <laughs> my God, not just any God, my God, he's going to supply all your needs, all of them. How many? All of them. That guy's convinced. According to his riches, oh my goodness, my Father, what Jesus has done for you, there are riches available to those who trust me as forgiver and leader. And many of us, we have this, this pot of gold of riches that Christ has given us. And we go, oh yeah, I know that, I studied that, check, check, check. We know it here, but we're not convinced of it. We're not pulling out those treasures and experiencing those. If he reconciled with me, what does that mean? What did he endure? What did he put up with? Well, if he did that with me, then maybe I need to do that with somebody else. I kept putting those thoughts in my head. Oh. And I thought, boy, this is how God feels. I was sitting at breakfast. I thought, this is how God felt about me. He kept chasing me. He kept pursuing me. He kept trying to reconcile with me. And in that moment, in that little breakfast diner, I went, man, I know something more about God today than I used to. This is how much he suffered for me. This is how much he loved me to work through whatever the differences were. And and, and, and in his case, he wasn't wrong. (laughs) And he still pursued. These riches we have in Christ that... What does it mean that we are adopted? What does it mean that we're accepted? When it comes to financial giving, do we, are we really convinced that in Christ we have treasures that neither moth nor rust can destroy? Because if you're not convinced that your real riches in heaven are confidently secure, you're going to have trouble giving away ben, uh, Benjamins. Because this is your real treasure. Oh, this is my real treasure. This is my security. This is, this is my retirement. This is how I, I find happiness. This is how I buy what I really need. See, instead of working hard to be giving, you know what you need to do? You need to go be convinced of what you have. Do you really believe? Are you really convinced that you have riches in Christ? And those are so vast and so valuable that what you have in your wallet, it's like funny money. And yeah, you need to be a good manager of the funny money, but it's funny money. And when you find it, that's why you're content. Because no longer does the money own you. You can use it, but it doesn't use you. Because you use your funny money, and you use it well, and you manage it well, because you're going to be held accountable to it. But you're convinced that your real riches are in his glory, the word weight. You give weight to the convincement that your real riches are in Christ. Now, God and Father and glory forever and ever. Amen. Are you convinced of what you already have? Priscilla Shire tells a story. Her son turned five, had a birthday. Everybody gave him cards and they had a big celebration. A few months later, he had his first baby tooth coming out. Oh, it popped out. 
Oh, the tooth fairy. Mom, Dad, the tooth fairy going to come? Oh, yeah. Put that under your pillow tonight and we'll see. So he put it under his pillow and he's waiting. And as Priscilla tells the story, she said that night a 220-pound, six-foot-three tooth fairy came down the stairs. And under the pillow was left gummy bears and a $5 bill. The next day he woke up. He is so excited. He runs up to mom and dad, $5 in gummy bears. Can you believe it? This tooth, I got $5. He, well, that's great. Go down and get some breakfast. We'll be right down. He goes down to get breakfast and she shoots this look at her husband. We're going to go broke. $5 for a tooth? What are you thinking? And as if he knew that this conversation was happening or was going to happen, he said, honey, do you remember a few months ago when he had his birthday? Yeah. And everyone gave him cards and almost every family member gave him $5 bills. We put all those $5 bills into a drawer because we didn't think he could handle all that money at once. Yeah. I put one of those under his pillow. (laughs) He's excited about something that was already his. That's how you grow as a Christian. You get excited about, wow, I knew about his forgiveness, but oh, I feel his forgiveness. Look at this. Did you know he's forgiven me? I felt it again when I forgave somebody who I didn't think deserved it. Did you know we have riches in Christ that I'm so content with? I was able to give away a percentage of income and it was, and it was so terrifying. And I went, why was it such a big deal? When I began to say, oh my goodness, he, when I was an enemy, he brought peace with me and God. Am I interacting with somebody who I've been estranged from? When I worked with them, I am so excited to feel what I already have in Christ. This is how you grow as a Christian. This is what God is calling us to. This is what it means to be convinced of what we already know. You don't need more theology. You don't need more information. You don't need more Bible study. They're all good. But what you need is to be convinced of what you say. And what I say, I already know. And many times we become like the Gnostics. We're running around for more information. But here's a challenge. Don't ask yourself, what do I believe? Ask yourself, how deeply do I believe? What I say I believe. Now that question will grow you. How deeply do I believe? How deeply convinced am I? Of what I say I already believe. You say I am as content as I am convinced. And I'm as convinced as I am centered on Christ. If you struggle with worry, you need to stop worrying. You need to be convinced that God really is in charge of the universe. Be convinced that he really does have your best at heart. You need to be convinced that though he takes care of the the birds of the air and the grass of the field, he can take care of you too. See, worry is a convincement problem. Greed is a convincement problem. Hoarding is a convincement problem. Unforgiveness is a convincement problem. So if you want to grow, if you want to say, how do I apply this? Here's one phrase. Trace your concerns to your convincement. And if you're worried, that's your concern, ask yourself, what is it I'm not convinced about that I say I already believe? If you have trouble with money, Worry, anxiety, you're thinking about it all the time. What do you really not, con- what do you need to go back and say, God, I want to, by faith, 
be more and more convinced of what you already said. You having trouble with a grudge? Are you really convinced that you aren't worthy of forgiveness? Because you keep saying, well, I couldn't forgive them for what they did. Wait a second. So do you think that they're less forgivable than you? Or, or you're more forgivable than those kind of people who would do those kind of things? See the problem? You need to come back and say, I'm convinced that I was lost. I'm convinced that I've got a rebel heart. And there is a God who is so kind and so gracious and so loving that he chased after me. Trace your concerns to your convincement and become convinced that Jesus is everything you ever wanted, everything you'd ever need. And then you can say with boldness, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for not letting us settle for just getting to heaven. But show us what it is to put you in the center of our heart and our mind and our emotion and our wallets and our checkbooks. Show us what it looks like for us to be fully devoted to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you all next week.